0: Hello, welcome to Learn With Us tonight on the show, Erez
1: Zuckerman. How's it going today, sir? Pretty good. Happy to be here. How's
0: things in Ontario?
1: They're actually surprisingly chill. Spring is coming in, so the weather is nice. We can be outside. It's not, you know, social isolation is not fun, but it's not too, too hectic.
0: Yeah. So I first discovered Erez from uh, people raving about his keyboard, and uh, that's a yeah, everyone who likes keyboards knows about his keyboards. So, enough said about that. But we want to talk about today his interesting site called mem.dev. But before we go into that, please give us a little bit about your background and career.
1: Sure. So, my background and career. Well, I guess writing's always been a part of my career. I used to do it professionally for PC World and make use of. I was also an editor at make use of, And then a few years ago, I decided I want to switch over to web development. And basically taught myself um, Ruby and Rails and JavaScript, later React, and um, got hired. And right about the time I got hired, I also started my my two companies, which is one, the keyboard company, which makes the Orthodox EZ. That uh, company's called ZST, and Memdev, which used to be called Code Code Ninja. And um, and the keyboard grew and grew, and eventually I Quit my day job and basically to focus on my stuff and uh, on on both the keyboard and Memdev, which code code Ninja, which was later rebranded as Memdev, and that's kind of where I am today. Cool.
0: So, what years were you involved with uh, PC World writing for them? Because I used to read that one as a
1: PC World. I reckon I last worked there. It's been a while. Maybe 2015, 2014-ish. My stuff was last published. Yeah. It was old enough that some of my stuff actually was published in print, <laughs> so they haven't been, I think, in print for a number oh, really? of years now. Right, I, right. I think they went digital only. Yeah.
0: PC World was it, what? I'm getting confused. with PC Gamer. It's not not the same thing, right? No, 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 no,
1: no. That was PC World. Is less of a gaming thing. It's more like business stuff and productivity and whatnot.
0: Cool. So, what is mem.dev?
1: Yeah. So. To understand Mendev, I guess we got to kind of start with the three F's of programming uh, that are often ignored. The three F's of coding, in my opinion, are feelings, forgetting, and F this job, I'm going to go farm some sheep instead. Forgetting, you imi- Forgetting, yes. Forgetting, right. Forgetting. So feelings, forgetting, and F this job, which is also known as burnout. Yeah, yeah. And these are things that are kind of ignored when we think about coding. Like nobody talks about feelings, like who cares feelings, right? But actually feelings really matter because we're people. Sure. And the way I see it, and also from talking with other coders, when we code, we kind of go through an emotional cycle. We feel fine, maybe bored, maybe whatever. And then we... Come across a problem something is confusing something doesn't work and we start like that kind of emotional curve starts going down we're getting frustrated 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 if it's something small then it's a small frustration but sometimes if we like waste an hour or two hours we're like in a rage by the end of it and then you figure the thing out we always do right we gotta move on with life we don't desert the project we find some solution and if it's a good solution that's like an emotional spike. We're like, yay! And that's a little win there, right? And then yeah, we sure. go back. We go back to, to the usual. We go back to work. And to me, that emotional curve is actually a huge missed opportunity for leveling up as a coder. If you're a developer and you want to improve, let's say you know, you're you a working developer and you're trying to get a raise, you're trying to get somewhere with your career, that's when learning happens with that emotional curve like you come across a problem, you figure out the solution and you keep going. But if you keep going without doing anything, that's when the second f comes in. You forget. A month later you could have the same problem. And this is really really clear when it comes to command line stuff like git, you know? Like, oh, I got to get something done in git. How do I revert my before last commit? You know? How do I how do I pull just a single file off another branch? Like those kind of uncommon tasks. And then you go, you look it up, you find it on Stack Overflow, you do the thing and you move on with life. A month later, you're finding yourself searching for the same thing again (laughs) and Google says, you've been to this page three times before. Eventually, for me, it was like, you've been to this page many times before. Google kind of stops counting (laughs) uh, on the search results and that makes programming feel like, kind of like a treadmill, kind of like you're stepping in place a little bit Um, and And I wanted to find a way to make that treadmill into an escalator to make it feel like, okay. every time I run across something and I'm getting frustrated and I feel like I'm stupid, uh, which is something that happens to me when coding, like I kind of confront my own stupidity on, on a regular basis. Like, why doesn't this work? You know, and then I wanted to basically hit a mental save button whenever I find the solution. Right, to find a way to say, oh, okay, so this is how you revert the before last commit. Okay, I'll never forget this again. And and that's what I did. Basically, Mendev is that save button, is a way to basically save snippets of knowledge and then train on them like, like a concert pianist, like a, like a musician or like an athlete. Basically start your day with like 5-10 minutes of training on your hard-won knowledge and basically, you know, reload into, into cache all of this knowledge and then start coding. And every time I learn something new when I code, every time there is a problem and I solve it, I just dump it into Mendiv and later I can train on it. And it kind of makes those interactive flashcards is what it does. And it's smart enough to ask me, it quizzes me on those flashcards. It's like, okay, so how do you revert the commit? Or how do you, uh, I don't know, like, what's the pattern to avoid CSRF authentication in, um, in Ruby, right? If you want to, to skip authentication on, on a controller, what do you do? So it asks me those questions, which is all stuff that means something to me because I made those cards, not a ready-made pack of cards. And then when I give the right answer, it's going to leave me alone for a month or two months or whatever, and it's going to ask me again right before I would have forgotten And that way, I kind of get this pile of knowledge that's ever-increasing, but it's in my mind. It's not like in a wiki somewhere. And every little piece of knowledge that I kind of gain and hold on to is that much less confusion and stupidity and that much more fluency in my experience as a coder.
0: I'm looking at the page mem.dev forward slash how and you've got this thing called space repetition where what's happened is you've got this forgetness curve and then you've got this floor that's getting higher and higher which is your sort of long-term memory leveling off that's a, a good way to put it that's certainly what happens in, in real life i think because as you get to a certain point where you don't have to figure out what a how to do a map in javascript or
1: like you're saying exactly what you're doing, yeah exactly and i think this level of fluency is really what sets apart the, the 10x developer like one of the inspirations for Mendev, i was i was uh, working as part of a remote team and i was really a a rails noob and um i got to pair with this 10x developer i was in israel at the time he was in macedonia and when i say pair it's in air quotes really because i got to watch the guy work yeah he was really really good and so we started a session it was i think skype it was way before zoom and um i was expecting you know For fingers to come out of his fingers and for him to go all ghost in the shell and like type like crazy and like, you know, and do all the things. And that's not what happened at all. Like the guy, you know, kind of read the code slowly and deliberately thought through. It was kind of slow, you know, kind of like also spoke slowly and deliberately. And then he started typing and he wasn't a fast typist, but he just typed kind of like I type out an email like he was using Vim. And I think he had auto-completion off, if I recall correctly. And he he just typed the code super fluently and did what he wanted to do. And like, I think for like an hour and a half of pairing session, maybe like Googled once or maybe none, like basically zero Googling. He could just code, he could just type. And that blew my mind. That was like six years ago now. And that was at the very start of the product. I was like, okay, so, so that's what a 10X developer looks like. You know, like that level of, Fluency. And um, and then I kind of started, okay, well, who else needs to be fluent? Well, foreign language learners. If you, I, I was into learning German at the time, which kind of um, led me in the direction of spaced repetition. And when you go into the language learning space, like apps like Duolingo and stuff like that, that's what they do, right? They use this forgetting curve and spaced repetition. And then I said, well, why don't I apply this to programming and I found a couple of really interesting write-ups by people who actually did that like if you know you know uh, Derek Sivers no uh, this is a guy interesting entrepreneur he started cdbaby.com in the 90s I think it was and then he sold um, and he has a lot of interesting things to say but he was kind of a technical founder he was a coder and he called spaced repetition the most powerful technique he learned in like 14 years of programming <laughs> And there's this other guy, really interesting entrepreneur, uh, Jack Kinsella. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's he's, uh, a German guy. uh, Created a service called Oxbridge Notes, I think. This kind of a service for uh, swapping um, notes that people took in class, I think. But he also, he basically made something called the Janky Method. Uh, Janky, not a great name, but basically it's Jack and Anki. Anki is a... Space repetition product, which is free and open source, really cool. And he basically wrote up a whole article about how he used space repetition to to master programming. Because you know there is this famous ten thousand hour rule, right? The ten thousand hours rule says, well, if you deliberately practice for ten thousand hours, you're going to get to world class whatever you do. But then, can you actually do it in less than ten thousand hours? And what is deliberate practice for coders, right? You're familiar with that. Term deliberate practice. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So ten
0: thousand hours. I read that, but yeah, uh, it's been around in a while. That's one of those web blogs. That I've can't remember the name of it. Ten thousand t- coding in t- in ten thousand hours.
1: Yeah, like the like the actual guy who popularized it was Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers. Like he came with this number ten thousand hours. Uh, which may or may not be true, but it really begs the question of when do we level up as coders? You know, like because coding can be boring, so and it can be also really hard. And what what makes us level up? And I found that super interesting. And so Jack Kinsella wrote an article around that where he said, well, you know, this is how you level up as a programmer, and this is how I was able to improve super rapidly. And it really sold me, and and that's why I started working on this product. Mm-hmm. And when I was just starting as a developer, I always I had those onboarding questions, you know, like stuff I had to Google, but also stuff that I couldn't Google because it was specific to the team. And then I I would ask my question and I would get an answer and I would make a flashcard and later I would I would train on this flashcard. And I think for the team around me, it felt like I was onboarding pretty fast and like I was leveling up pretty fast. Like it made me feel less conspicuous as a noob, I think, than than I would have felt otherwise. Because it's like, you kind of have this superpower. Okay, like somebody tells me something once, I will never forget that. Yeah, sure. Like, and like the other, I think thing i really liked about that is we all document right I, I don't know what do you what do you use for for documenting do you have like a wiki or one? Um, or? i prefer to document things in
0: the in the code with jsdoc
1: yeah. jsdoc yeah so there's always this big debate around commenting in jsdoc where people say well does it get stale because it's kind of possible to update the code with forgetting to update the comment um, which maybe is less of a like depends how disciplined
0: you are about depends it. I actually care about the code base, you know. If it's your own personal product, sometimes, or you're or you're adding to the code base, I um, always like to write decent comments. And yeah. I think they don't get stale for me because I I know that they're so cl- because they're so close to each other. If it's a wiki somewhere a hundred miles away, but if, if it's if it's five lines away from the code you're writing, then For me, it's the best place for for documentation to exist. And you don't need all these other things like Confluence and GitHub Wiki pages, you know.
1: Exactly. No, I agree. I think think if anything, in code comments are the less prone to get stale. Because what I noticed about other forms of documentation, like whatever project I was working on, you know, be it like something big at GoDaddy or even something small for the keyboard, we have like a docs directory or a wiki. The moment you publish it, it goes stale. Like yeah, the yeah. next day, it's stale. And, and that's kind of one thing I like about flashcards because the system asks me, okay, so how do you do so-and-so? How do you like, okay, here's a classic one, like something with Vagrant. Remember Vagrant? Uh, yeah, Vagrant.
0: No, it, it's something important for DevOps, but it's, it's kind of related to Docker or something Exactly, like that. <laughs>
1: Vagrant, exactly, exactly. That's that's exactly the so vagrant is what people kind of used before Docker. It was a way of automating VirtualBox and making development environments, right. which is super archaic now, right? We all use Docker. Everything is Dockerized. Yeah. But so I bet you there is like um, docs directories and wikis and numerous products documenting like stuff that's really specific to vagrant and how yeah. do you set up a development and like nobody uses that stuff anymore. And if it's a flashcard. Then the system asks you, so what do you do when so-and-so happens on Vagrant? Right? You get you proactively get the question, and then you say, Oh, this is BS, like nobody uses this anymore. And you click a button and it blows the question away. And like, and you're never gonna get asked that thing again. Yeah, yeah. So I feel bad for the developers of Vagrant, though. Imagine what it must feel like.
0: <laughs>
1: Time marches on, yeah. Yeah, I mean competition uh, totally. And so And so this is like another place where I think flashcards are super useful. And of course, there's other use cases for fluency, like two that I really like to think about. One is a job interview. Job interviews are super scary, like technical interviews. We used to do tech interviews with people for GoDaddy and like, you know, so you sit with someone. It was always remote. I forget what platform we'd use, but you ask them, okay, like it was for Ruby people, right? So how do you, how do you sort an array? Or how do you, you give them like a more practical problem? And you watch the guy and it's a high stress situation, right? It's like intense an interview. And the guy is like floundering. And this is not the time to Google. It's not the time to say, wait, what was that method? And often like the, the um, systems we would use did not have good autocomplete specific to Ruby. So you really got to be fluent, so if you're trying to get a job, that's another place where fluency really matters. And like another, another, it's interesting because like, it's often like the high stress situations where you say, man, I wish I was fluent, like debugging stuff in production. Um, Are, are you a Rails
0: guy? No. Um, okay. I first got into web when I was, PHP was pretty popular. Um, okay. And Then I got stuck in Flash and Cold Fusion, unfortunately, for
1: four years. <laughs> I, <laughs> I skipped all that good stuff. So the thing with Rails, like the, when you when you want to debug stuff in production, you log into the Rails console, which is really awesome. Um, it basically it's a it's a live view of the back end of your app. You can do stuff in the database. You can even run code. You can like paste code in and whatnot. But you are like in production. So you gotta really know what you're doing because if you mess up there, it's like it's high stakes. And I remember, like we, I used to work on on a big app for GoDaddy, and stuff goes down in production, and you have like a lot of users, and it's really intense. You SSH into production, and like, now what, right? And and the thing with SSH is that you don't own the system it's prod so you don't have any of your nice scripts and you don't have like if i i like to use fish as my shell which has actually auto completion in the shell you don't have that stuff in production so there too you really gotta like kind of pull out the commands and know what to do and know what to look for and i find that those cases those high stress cases are career making or career breaking like if you are able to fix a big problem in prod and, like, debug it on the fly, that's something that's going to come up in a performance review a few months later. Conversely, if you are not able to and you actually make the problem worse and you bring production down, that's going to come up in a performance review way sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Probably next week or in a retro. Sheesh, or like I, can't, somewhere I can't
0: imagine you- if myself a bunch of people's domains, man, sheesh.
1: Yeah, I, I was I was actually working on the email marketing product for GoDaddy, so I, I had nothing to do with uh, the domain stuff. That's like, well, that's even more intense. But, yeah, still, you don't want to bring that stuff down. So, just I just think that fluency, that's why I, I call it forgetting, right? Forgetting and fluency, it's two sides of the same coin. And you just don't see people talk about it enough, right? I mean, when you go, like, you, you see all those... You know code school and plural site and code academy and everybody talks about learning 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 awesome like you can get the books you can get all the things and watch the videos at the end of the day the name of the game is not learning the name of the game is retaining like i could read books and watch videos until i'm blue in the face but if in a month or do a boot camp like a grueling boot camp but if in a month i forget half of what i'd earned what what did i just do with my time and my money
0: you have absolutely nailed it on the head. A lot of times, I've sat and watched a bunch of videos on we just call it X framework. And then I sat down to use a framework, and then I, I just I don't I don't have a clue how to do it. You only learn by doing. And I think what you've what you've done there is is unique, and you know from a, from a own a perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is also a pitfall when you're talking about a product because it's super hard to explain because everybody's like, okay, so so it's a code school. So you're teaching people how to code. I'm like, nope, nope, I, I, we don't teach anything. There's no pre-made flashcards or anything like that. You've got to make your flashcards. People go like, wait, so what's the point? So where do I learn? And it's really <laughs> hard to explain that there is a problem here of, of forgetting. It's, it's not a great product to try to market, honestly. Like marketing on this thing has been super frustrating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, only, I only heard about it when I was interested about the keyboard. I was
1: trying to get you on the show to talk about the keyboard, right? <laughs> You're like... Which... Yeah, yeah. Which which is interesting because the keyboard is so much easier. It's... It, it, hardware is interesting. Hardware is sexy. Like, and in the, in the keyboard if I do say so myself it's a solid product like it's a good keyboard yeah because I've, I've got I've basically got RSI because I'm using
0: this MacBook keyboard all the time and like I don't want to have a massive keyboard you know the normal keyboard and we're sort of like guitar players you know if one developer keeps showing off his keyboard it makes me a bit, bit jealous I wanted it as well so you know I just thought well I'll just talk to the guy who made it and see that would be an interesting <laughs> podcast and I'll decide if I need to get it or not you know
1: <laughs> exactly exactly and it's 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 humbling like trying to market software as a service after marketing the keyboard because with a keyboard like i don't know marketing is way easier in a sense like you just have to have a very very good keyboard and people seem to reach out and people talk about it and people like it like you said like you have friends who rave about the keyboard about the ergodox easy and um and with SaaS, it's not at all the same thing. Like you make a you make you make a keyboard, and people get excited. You make yeah, yeah. SaaS, and like nobody cares. It's like yeah, yeah, wow. You made an application. That's exciting. Like nobody cares. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm trying to think about the last the last product I used that I was actually excited about. I do I do use Webstorm. I, I mean, they don't pay me any, anything, but I I love the product, and um, and I like Scrivener for writing. I'm trying to write a book. Uh, I used to have. I'm not going to talk about the the companies that I don't use anymore, because, uh, yeah. What, software? I think most of the software I use is free, you know, like, macOS, um, GarageBand. I might might upgrade to Logic, but I don't don't really rave about it that much. I make some videos about it. Oh, my coding videos on WebStorm, I use that. Um, music videos and talk about GarageBand. But yeah, yeah
1: jet stuff is good i mean i really like their stuff it's i wasn't blown away by the performance like oh, i never really switched exactly and you gotta be honest there <laughs> i had a pairing partner and i used to use vim and he used to use RubyMine. mine so whenever he was driving like the features are really nice the code intelligence rocks but yeah. man it's kind of slow you gotta have a fast you machine like- i've got the latest macbook pro
0: and it it's, it gets a bit warm sometimes, but uh, I don't have time to mess around with Visual Studio Code and install search and all through those plugins. WebStorm just works out of the box, you know, everything I need pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, WebStorm, I mean, it's it's really impressive. I really like their stuff. Yeah, so, but I, I think IDs like that are also part of the reason why developers don't realize that Fluency is much of an issue because... The code intelligence is so good, right? Like you can really um, drill down and like autocomplete is amazing and all the all the various intellisense and what, whatever. It's really, really good. Yeah. And so as a developer, you just say, well, I'm just going to Google what I need. but But I think that's often a mistake because there is a subset of stuff that you just kind of need to know. All the command line stuff, all the or if you're going into an interview, all, all the ops things and and just in general, I think fluency kind of frees us to think about the bigger picture. It's like I don't have to hunt for the next word that's going to come out of my mouth. I can just focus on the concept I'm trying to convey. the words just come,
0: yeah, interviews are a funny thing when i've 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 done interviews for companies. And I, I'm uh, anyone who's read my blogs on LinkedIn knows I'm not a big fan of them personally. I think if you want to do interviews, do a paid interview, have a developer come in and sit. But when I'm looking for people to work for me with me in, on, a, on a like a freelancer project, usually I'll just be people on Discord and I'll say, "Look, anyone got time for a project?" And usually the only questions that interview asks, I interview and ask ask them is really, "Yeah, uh, maybe you've got a GitHub and how much the how, how much is that earlier earlier rate?" And that's basically what I made my decision on. Even just by even if I ask somebody and they help me with a question, like something I didn't know, then for me, that's like it's somebody that I want to work with in a project because I'm not going to sit and drill drill through all of these questions. and you know, it's like a plumber asking a plumber to come and test his pipe before I let you work in my sink. I know it's different with coding because you know, the
1: pain code is a lot more money than plumbers for like a one off job, but, um. yeah, totally. I think, I think interviewing is broken in many ways, like when we've hired. for for ZSA for the keyboard company or when we hire I should say we're a fully remote company and when I publish an ad I never like I actually say please don't send me CVs don't send resumes I do not want to see a resume like I put together a type form with a bunch of questions that's almost like a pre-interview and then I see how people communicate and kind of what the style is and then we do a call and and like there's never anything with like like my my pet peeve is the resume probably because my resume looks terrible I never finished high school for personal supporters and I've never
0: asked anyone for a CV as far as I can remember I don't it for companies yeah, yeah I get a CV but I don't care about the CV really I just want to see what they can do
1: and the GitHub or exactly exactly and then and it's crazy to me that like when you go to big bigger companies, not only do they ask for CVs, there's whole SaaS systems that kind of process those CVs and like classify them yeah, without yeah. like a human being ever looking at them. Yeah. It's just machines going and saying, oh, like, list in so-and-so education. Well, we're not even going Machi- to put you on the list. Machines are so dumb. How It's better not to have a
0: bot and have a bot that replies back something really stupid. If I go to a, a company and I, and I go to a tech spot and I say something about some account, and the bot answers me back something that's nothing to do with what I asked, the company just looks completely stupid. Even if it's some fancy AI bot that costs of millions of pounds, the fact that they've took a basic English question in the name of saving them time, it's better not to have a bot than have a bot that's 70% accurate
1: because it just makes you the completely dumb rant over. It's <laughs> so true. and And, and I think... I think that's a trap that a lot of SaaS products kind of fall into, not just the bots, but in general, kind of making it into too much of a numbers game. Like when you you try to look at your funnel, for example, and you say, well, okay, I'm going to put analytics all over the place and I'm just going to look at the numbers and like, what happens with the funnel? I'm going to A-B test the crap out of this and all that, which is fine, I guess. But what many companies forget, especially early stage, I think, is the qualitative feedback, like talking to people and like, OK, so what do you think is, is the product any good? It's the only thing that matters. What do you use it for? Exactly. And people don't do that. Like people are obsessed with with numbers. And I think that's a huge mistake. It's
0: like my interview with Howard Ross and uh, in my other podcast, Influencers Café. He, he used to work at Sega Technical Institute. And he's a composer for movies and they're very successful. And, I, and I, was, uh, I was saying to him, look, I made this sort of atmospheric song and I went to uh, one of my friends on Discord and, and I says, what do you think of it? And he says, I absolutely love it. It's like this panning and the sound moving back. And then I said, I went to uh, a sound guy and he started complaining about the, the technical aspects of it. And, and Howard goes... Never go to a, a a composer to to ask for opinions on uh, on the music, you know. So the same
1: thing with exactly. like, I think
0: our products. Don't ask exactly. To take like.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I I read this book. I forget the name, but it was about this theory called Jobs to be done. Uh, which is basically when. Like the, the gist of it is when somebody uses a product, you want to know, you don't want to know like why they bought the product in so many words. You want to say what job did they hire the product to do? And that's something that numbers are not going to tell you. Say that again. Don't ask. What, what job did they hire the product to do in their life? Yeah. Like one of the examples he gives in the book is people buying milkshakes in the morning. Right, stopping over at a drive-through and, and getting a milkshake. Back in the days when we could still get out of the house uh, on the way to work.
0: Oh, remember those days, man! Sheesh. Yeah, was- <laughs>
1: nostalgia, right? So, why do people buy the milkshake in the morning? Like, why the milkshake? And and he really kind of delves into it, and he says, when actually talking to those customers. It was because it would last them for the whole car ride. It would give them something to do. It would keep them full until lunch or like almost until lunch. And like all those reasons why they basically hired, quote unquote, the milkshake to do the work. And if you just look at the numbers, you don't get any of that. Basically, it's like, okay, so and so milkshakes sold in the morning. Let's. And like, let's say you're trying to actually sell more milkshakes. Then you start playing with, oh, let's uh, have a sale. Let's do a one plus one. Let's do whatever. When in fact, if you really understand on a deep level why people buy those milkshakes, you can do much smarter things around that. And the same goes, I think, with SaaS and with e-commerce. Like, it's really, really easy to look at the numbers that fall out of our computers. How many page views? What's the conversion rate? What's the funnel, right? But, and those numbers kind of um, deceive us into thinking that we have an accurate understanding of something because it's, because our understanding is very precise, meaning like we have hard numbers, but just because we have numbers doesn't mean we understand what's going on uh, because numbers don't tell the whole story. You need people for that. You need to actually have pretty deep conversations with people to understand why they did what they did.
0: Yeah. If you're trying to imagine something when people like stuff, it's very easy to self-deceive yourself. And I don't think I've really followed through um, many startup ideas I've had because I just my own idea compared to what people people's thought about it, they just weren't interested. And so I've kind of backed off from from doing startups. So I think I've, that's good, though. I haven't actually put a lot of effort into doing a startup. But um, I'm thinking of doing some stuff now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just... I think a good starting point for anything is talking to people. And that's actually surprisingly hard. You know, like with MemDev, one of the things I do, it used to be on the onboarding. Like there's an onboarding and I used to say on the onboarding right there, hey, if you want, we can have a one-on-one call. No strings attached. You don't have to be a paying customer or anything. Just talk to me and I'll give you some tips on how to um, how to use the system to become a better developer because I've been doing this for years. Yeah. And very few people took me up on it, but but some people did. And this this one uh, lady um, did, and we had a meeting. We, I don't know, spoke for like 45 minutes, and they shared a bunch of tips and some thoughts on leveling up and whatnot. And near the end of the call, her voice kind of cracked because she said, she said, it was, she was actually emotional. She said, you know what, I, I was sure gonna try to upsell me on something I was sure this is kind of a. I went into the call thinking it's a bit of a scam because why would you talk to me just to help me like nobody does that you know I was sure you're gonna try to make me buy something or and she was shocked basically that I just wanted to talk to her and hear her story and share some of my thoughts and that's such a such an uncommon thing i ended up having to move that call to action from the onboarding because i figured people must think that i'm trying to scam them out of something and now you have to actually do some training sessions and at the end of your third session i say hey looks like you're serious maybe let's have a call but it's interesting how how hard it is um to talk to people i heard um I was listening to your podcast the other day, and you had mentioned that the podcast is actually an excuse to talk to people.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's like it is. It is it's it's. Um, I love recording conversations. Sometimes, if you have a little deep conversation like this, you can forget the stuff. But and you you sort of if you, if you if you record it, you can listen to it as many times as you like.
1: You know. Um, exactly. Exactly. And so. I really think both for hardware and for, for at least for small scale software, I really like small scale stuff. I don't like VC. and like trying to eat the world, but like for the type of things I try to do, like niche hardware and niche software, qualitative feedback and deep conversations are where it's at. Because when you have enough of those, you can build something that really helps some people. And that's really what it's all about, I think.
0: I like your website you've got the links at the top how it works rates and basically you've got a conversation um, it doesn't feel corporate really. it feels like a personal website talking about the software product you know so um, thank you but thank it, you yeah that's... being a being a developer it looks like you've put a lot of work in this and some pretty technical hard things like you've basically built a some kind of syntax parser that knows what's wrong with the code and Um, it still has to be aware of what the syntax is while there's errors, which is is pretty awesome. So how do you sit down from ground zero and decide I want to put several thousand hours of my life into something where I'm not sure it's going to feed me, you know?
1: Yeah, I wish I had a good answer for that. Basically what seemed to work for me for the keyboard was to work on something that i wanted the keyboard started because i wanted an ergodox and at the time the ergodox was available as a box of parts uh including like tiny surface mount diodes which are like smaller than a grain of rice and you have to solder them in the correct orientation on the board that was back then and um and I said, "Well, I want this keyboard, but I'm not going to sit down. We had just had our our, our first uh, child, and you know, with a little baby, I'm not going to go sit down solder a bunch of surface Man components. I'm not <laughs> going to do this. And I must not be the only one. And so that was the kind of the genesis of where the keyboard started. And that seemed to work. Like people, th- there really are other people who want this keyboard and don't want to solder it solder it themselves. And the same thing was with with Code Code Ninja, which later turned into MemDev." It was this sense of okay, I really want to program, but programming is so frustrating. How can I make programming less frustrating? How can I make myself less stupid about it? Um, and and it worked is the thing. Like it really that system. I'm super stubborn about it. Like I've been I've been Code Code Ninja uh, existed for five years before it converted into MemDev. So this is not like some newfangled product that I'm trying to make. And it never really took off as a product. It's always been super, super small. And yet I keep going um, because it helped me. It really made a big difference in my career as a developer. It it really worked. Um, And so that's how I made that decision to, to keep working on it. But... At some point, you also have to get traction, which is where we are now with the product. Right now, with Mendev, it's like I I want enough people to see it so that I have a sense of am I just being delusional or is this actually helping other people? Like last week, we had a grand total of 80 people visit the site. That's, that's good. Nothing that I was getting. A long
0: time. That's a good know, one for me. Not-
1: yeah for us it's it's a little bit on the low end you know like I think what i like what I'm aiming for right now is to have thirty five hundred people three thousand five hundred people uh every week get to the homepage at least just to get a sense of hey is this something that's even useful for programmers and I'm now finding that for SaaS, it's super hard to get there to get to that to that level of traffic so Because i think I think what the difficulty is
0: is that people that are new to coding don't realize they need a tool like this. They just want to learn by watching videos and trying to make it themselves. But people that, like, that me that know that these tools are good, we, we don't, in a sense, for me, I wouldn't know why, why I would need it because I'm already experienced in the language, you know. So it's like you got this big gap between people that realize the, the value of the product versus those that actually need the product but don't want the product.
1: right. And the people I'm actually trying to serve, I think, the people I want to focus on are actually the more experienced developers. Like in in GoDaddy, we used to have a leveling system. I think many companies have it. They have like the level one through level six or seven. Like level six or seven is like super senior architect level, blah, blah, blah. So you have the people who are like level two, level three, and they're trying to make it to the next level, which comes with a significant raise. And they're already like journeyman Level programmers, but they want to move forward, and those are the people I want to target because I think if you manage to level up from level three to level four, we're talking about like twenty thousand dollars extra a year. Yeah, you know, a, a big chunk of money, and like, and spending ten dollars a month and like fifteen, ten, fifteen minutes a day practicing to get there, it's totally worth it, and and it will make a difference. But explaining that to people is hard. And the other people I'm trying to target is the ops people where, you know, something is broken on production right now. That whole scenario I was talking about before, you have to SSH into a server and you have to make things right. There's no autocomplete. There is no rehearsal. You just have to fix it now. Yeah. And and there too, like that level of fluency is worth a lot of money. she have got so a lot of, the, of languages on here, man. You've got, how do you manage to program the th- syntax? That's, that's not uh, our syntax handling directory. Like library, right. it's, it's uh, an existing component. I forget right. what we used, but yeah, it basically is supposed to support like kind of right, right, right. under the sun. Um, so that's the people I'm trying to help. And you're right. Like the big problem here is people are not talking about forgetting or retaining. They're only talking about learning and, and, and when they are already coding, they're not even talking about learning. They're just talking about how do I get the damn thing to work. <laughs> and and that's when you get burnout. A few months in or a few years in, you're starting to feel like you're on a treadmill. You don't feel like you're leveling up. And I really believe that's one of the reasons for burnout. Yeah, this I think I, I of- that
0: would have been. I spent about four years doing stuff. I I just had, have zero. If I'd done that for four years, I mean it was first first job, I learned a lot of stuff as well, like back end like SQL servers, but sitting doing Flash call I should just I should have my one of my friends says, don't do flash because it's propriety and I was like nah it's good money. <laughs> Your boy was <is> see right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and that's really the other thing where I think experienced developers can benefit because you have someone who suddenly decides, well Imagine if someone decides right now, like someone is, I don't know. Um, oh, here's a good example, a crazy example. Somebody decides right now, you know what? I want to go into COBOL. You know COBOL?
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. I don't know the language, but... It's an ancient language. It's a—it's considered kind of a dead language, COBOL, yeah. right now. Well paid, But though. the thing is... Pardon? Well paid. Exactly, because... All the big enterprise systems, I'm talking like massive banking systems, massive government systems, backends are written in COBOL. And let's say, and, and that's a lot of money right now to, to be a COBOL programmer. And so if you are an existing developer right now, let's say you're into Java or PHP or whatever, and you say, well, I want to I wanna learn COBOL fast, man, you're going to need flashcards. You're gonna need flashcards, and and with flashcards, if you if you play your cards right, pardon the pun. Um, do you support COBOL? I don't know if there is even syntax highlighting for COBOL, but <laughs> you can do the same without like syntax highlighting. You can just the text is the important part, and then you can basically switch tracks mid-career, and boom, here's like forty thousand dollars extra in your, your, your like annual income. I think COBOL is like a assembly language. A bit like I that think. i think yeah but i mean whatever the syntax is like you can definitely use spaced repetition to to master it and to ace an interview and um so that's kind of like the people i'm trying to help the people i'm trying to make a difference to uh-huh. but yeah it's it's not an easy sell well it's only it's only ten
0: dollars a month so i quoting quicker versus something where I won't name companies, but there's companies out there that will charge you eight thousand pounds for three months full-time tuition. So exactly,
1: like one one of the calls I had with a user, with a with a memdev user, it was this person who went through a bootcamp, and she said, "Well, you know what? I did the bootcamp a year ago. I can't remember a thing." I remember maybe like thirty really? percent. And and it was like blood, sweat, and tears, and it was a lot of money for her, you know, and because the people who go into the boot camps are usually people who say, Well, I wanna get into programming, I want to find a job, and yeah. it's worth a lot of money. And she didn't Ex- get a job. I don't think she did in the end. No, that's didn't. that's not indicative of like the overall success of, of people. Maybe, you know, it's a great way to get hired potentially. Nonetheless, after you get hired I really think if you don't keep training on what you learned, if you don't save it, and you just have a bunch of notes that are going stale in a notebook, you're going to lose yeah, all that lose money, it, yeah. all that effort. Yeah. So, exactly.
0: And all that stuff I Basically, studied, it's... A lot of stuff I studied at uni that I haven't used since I graduated, you know, electronic engineering and a lot of genetics and stuff. Like, I'd have to almost go back to restudy that stuff. Okay, it'd come back easier, but... Because I haven't used that stuff since that, since university projects, like it's hard for me to get back into that uh,
1: career path. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of crazy how well spaced repetition works. I use spaced repetition also for life, just for general things. Like if I read a nonfiction book, you know, the thing with a nonfiction book, like when I read it and and it's interesting. And I feel like I'm learning stuff. At that moment, I feel super smart. It's like, oh yeah, this makes total sense and everything. And then you finish the book, and two weeks later, you forget like half of what you read. It's this fleeting sense of being super smart about something, but then wait, what, what did that book say again? Like, what was that all about? And yeah, big books don't sink in that well at all, to be honest. <clears throat> exactly. And so I kind of started after after I read a book. I, I I'm a big Kindle user, so after I read a book, I over my highlights i actually write a book summary and i make flashcards in anki which is a free product and then i train on those flashcards and What's i remember called? what anki a-n-k-i amazing product A-N-K-I. open source free yeah a-n-k-i general purpose space repetition. you can use it like people use it to learn japanese but you can use it for for anything oh really Looking amazing there's mobile apps too the android mobile app is free super good a great way to get into spaced repetition and it's really general purpose so I use it for for like the nonfiction stuff I read for any tidbits that I think are interesting and I don't know like just randomly like you know where where we live here in Kitchener-Waterloo in Ontario this is where residential recycling was invented (laughs) Uh, and I made a flashcard a number of years ago i think like okay what year was it invented and what was the name of the guy who came up with this idea of like let's put a box on the curb and like put all the bottles in it and then recycle the bottles and like i remember the year and the name of the guy uh like it's great for like random trivia like that stuff just stays Use it for uh,
0: when you're reading a large novel
1: Not a novel. I don't use it so much for fiction, but like mainly large nonfiction stuff. Yeah, large nonfiction works. I often go back at the end of the book and kind of, I I start by writing a summary of what I thought about the book and what are the main points without looking at the book. Because the work of retrieving that knowledge, the work of trying to remember Working to remember, wait, what? Like, first of all, I wait a couple of weeks. I wait a couple of weeks. Then I come back after a couple of weeks. Okay, so what did I read? What was that book all about? What was my big takeaway? And I just sit down in Sublime Text or something and just jot down uh, my big takeaways. And then I load up the Kindle app and I start going over the book and chapter by chapter, kind of, I don't copy paste anything. I type out my highlights again and my thoughts about them. And then I take my summary and I start making flashcards for the key things. So I end up after reading like a nonfiction book, it's a bunch of work, it's kind of tedious, but I end up remembering more of what I read. Like I already put in, I don't know, 10, 20 hours reading a giant nonfiction book. Well, might as well put in like a couple hours more and retain what I read.
0: Do you think it could help people study
1: medicine or law? I guess it's similar. Oh, for sure. It's used in medicine, actually in the in the MemDev homepage, the video we have that explains spaced repetition, it's actually for, uh, for medical students. It's by another product, another spaced repetition product, that's specifically for medical students. And they just explain spaced repetition so beautifully. I just went ahead and embedded that. Could your product be used for something other than code learning? MemDev specifically, no. MemDev is really for coders. I say, if you want to use it for like general purpose, go with Anki. It's free. It's amazing. It's just really hard to beat Anki. It's really the way to go. Like, that's what I use for everything that's not code. Yeah. Cool. But, yeah. Yeah, Space Repetition is awesome.
0: So what do you do when you're not not looking after uh, family
1: and coding? That's really about it. I mean, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm very much a full-time dad. We got two kids, and yeah. we homeschool, and and it's a lot of fun. So, really, it's it's the biz, And I love reading, I guess. Not not the most exciting. Like, I never really took up, like, an instrument or anything like that. So, really, like, my fun thing is reading, <laughs> I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. I'm really into reading and learning. But do, you like, yeah. do you like fiction? I do. I do like fiction. I just finished... Um, the obelisk gate trilogy uh by N.K. jamesian i'm probably totally slaughtering her name
0: what's it called obel
1: obelisk gate the obelisk gate i think uh was the name of the trilogy it's fantasy Fantasy. i'm usually into sci-fi me too um but i i chanced it i said let's let's try it out it was actually not bad but yeah like I usually go, like, I kind of alternate. I go fiction, nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction. But these days, with everything that's going on, I feel like, no, I'm just going to stick with some fiction for some time. Do you
0: use audiobooks, or do you read?
1: I know, I read. I read. I'm I'm a big uh, Kindle user, so I always tend to have, like, the latest Kindle. I have, like, the the latest Kindle Oasis, which can... um, It has red light, which is kind of nice when reading at night, which is what I read. I just don't like Kindles at all. I just don't like reading them. Really? I'm a huge fan. What, what don't you like about Kindles?
0: I just don't like the color of them. I'd rather read paper. It feels like I'm looking at a screen, which I am, but...
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm like super... I'm a big fan. It started when we had our baby, the first baby, right? Where, you know, we would all in, in the bedroom at night. And if you read with a light, it's gonna, you know, wake up the baby. Yeah. So the Kindle has its own built-in light. So I got that, and then red from light, there on, red light
0: Kindle, red light. Kindle.
1: The latest one, yeah, the latest, like the Kindle Oasis, can. Um, that sounds can light interesting.
0: Up. Actually, that that sounds interesting.
1: It's awesome, and like the display is very high res. It's like 300 PPI or something, and the red lighting when you actually uh, are in daylight, it looks kind of yellowish, brownish. It has that paper tinge to it. It's not paper book. It will never really feel like paper, but man i I vastly prefer it to paper,
0: yeah, I guess paper's kinda not very coronavirus friendly, but right
1: now. oh man <laughs> I hope that doesn't stay a factor for too too long, but yeah, I guess
0: yeah i guess I guess a lot a lot of a lot of developers won't really understand the the pain a lot of the people that are non desk jobs or. Can't work remotely you know so we, we've got it so lucky right now the developer communities Almost was have kept jobs you know
1: yeah it's crazy but it's kind of the end... like a
0: restaurant and then just shut down the restaurant and work day and night for years and years
1: yeah yeah but while developers are on the surface less affected No man is an island and as a a society, I mean, we all have families, we all have friends. And like, if you happen to be fortunate right now, I'm sure you'll help others and, you know, financially or in whatever way you can. And so I think if the whole economy is going down, I think we as developers will feel it. Yeah. It's just maybe delayed somewhat. And I think what we should try to do with that delay is well, try to help others. Mm-hmm. I think
0: it's it's maybe maybe it'll be easier to to get people motivated to, to to learn. I've I find it very hard to get people that are non-programmers to change career path. Um, I've even, Which yeah, even even offering time for free to try and train people, I, I found it very. I've almost giving up trying to get new people to to change career. It's almost, they have to come to you first in a sense than trying to do it reverse.
1: Yeah, it's true. This is another actually, it's another case for memdev I think because I think the big barrier in becoming a programmer and leveling up is this sense, this overwhelming sense of confusion and stupidity like oh my god how do I even start like what is happening and when you make flashcards it gives you the sense of oh I know this little tidbit and that little tidbit and like I learned 30 little things today okay so I felt stupid but hey 30 little things I won't forget now and it's kind of like every little fact you learn every little bit of syntax is like a little brick that you're laying in your foundation to become a programmer and it makes progress that much more tangible
0: maybe it'd be maybe it'd be good to to partner with a traditional education and that would be that that could be useful for you
1: yeah that i guess goes again into into b2b and trying to market it to businesses which i might try at some point but i just i'm a huge believer in in b2c because i think for products like both the Ergodox EZ and Memdev, there, one thing they share is that it's work. Switching to an Ergodox EZ is work. There is a real learning curve there. You get this keyboard out of the box, and the first thing it does is completely obliterate your typing, and any sort of competence you have yeah. as a typist goes down the drain immediately as soon as you switch form factor. And the same thing with Memdev. Memdev is basically, well, yay, now you get to work at this every day. You get to do a training session. And it's intentionally not gamified. You don't get a gold star for completing. You just, just like when you're a pianist, you don't get a gold star for training, like for practicing piano. Uh, you should do it really out of your own deep sense of motivation. Because that's really, I feel, what sets apart the part that people who level up and succeed. And do great things and the people who don't really. I don't think a system or an organization will do that for you. I think it's really your own personal sense of like, okay, I gotta do this thing.
0: You could you could add that in because that that can give a dopamine hit that would that is powerfully motivating. Think about all the gamers that can play at gamers game sixteen hours straight because of that. It's
1: something you can think right. about, you know right no i i gave this a lot of thought and like one book that really informed me is this book called punished by rewards ever heard of that one no amazing book by this guy alfie cohen punished by rewards punished by rewards man you gotta read that it's really good um he goes in depth about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation And what happens when we try to get people to do things by giving them gold stars or various rewards. And it's really insightful and really surprising. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And when I think of the great developers that I've met, I don't think any of them were motivated to become what they became because... Of some external thing they just really wanted to do it yeah. f- for their own reasons you know yeah. and
0: hey babe my wife just came in okay
1: keep going cool and gamification is good for mundane work you know like for stuff like that's really repetitive and not creative and whatnot but when you train on flashcards, the you guys with every flashcard actually sit down and try to remember the thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're just phoning phoning it in, then you're not really doing the work. So there is a factor of intent there, which I think gamifying would mess up. Yeah. It makes it a harder sell. I don't know. Maybe I'll eat my words. Maybe like maybe in a year from today the product will be gamified to the gills and like you'll get rankings and gold stars and whatnot and i'll eat my words maybe um but right now i like to think that it's better when it's not gamified but then again it's only better if people end up using it if nobody uses it if it's too boring to use then it's not helping anyone and then maybe there is room for gamification
0: yeah i really like your website b2c style all right, because it feels like somebody's talking to me but actually some some company's corporate website you know whatever um but the b2b would probably be very very good for your company maybe maybe you could like you could have the b2c website but then just like get somebody in some it course to run your product in the the class and and that then scroll by word of mouth that's could go viral if it's that good right
1: yeah there is actually this um code school that's called launch school and somebody there found code, code Ninja and really liked it, and then it spread throughout that group of people. Like they said, yeah, I mean, if you actually want to make the most out of the course, this is a good, a good kind of a supplement, a good yeah. uh, sidekick. Uh, and and so for years, we used to get like the occasional student from Launch School come in and just use code, code Ninja, and um, and that seemed to work. So in that regard, it's it's cool, like a partnership like that but i think i never really went into b2b because for me as as a person it's kind of less tangible that oh i'm helping someone and what gets me to do the things i do is really the sense that people are finding it useful not in the abstract again we go back to the qualitative feedback not in the sense of like oh i see numbers and analytics In the sense of, hey, I got to speak to this person, and it's a real person, and they live in New York City, and they told me so-and-so about the product, and it made a difference for them. And that's something I won't necessarily get with B2B. I'll end up interacting with, like, a bunch of corporate people, whereas for me, the real satisfaction is, hey, you know, somebody, like somebody told me the other, uh, a few months ago, it was, yeah, I kind of stopped using, uh, I stopped using the product because uh, I got hired. I was like, yay, you got hired. That's awesome. That That's great news. Like, did, did the product actually help you in the interview? And they said, yes, I, th- I think it did. And that sort of thing. Yeah. So I lost the customer kind of, but it was super satisfying. It was like, yay. And that's the point of it all for me.
0: That book Punched um, by the Wars looks interesting. I put that on my list. Well, one thing quite actually quite happened in one of my YouTube videos. I've got a video on on YouTube. It's called um, the Vantages and Disadvantages of Living in London. And somebody, some education establishment took that video and made an Ed Puzzle from it, which is uh, an app that has multiple choice questions based on what you say in a video. And so I hmm. thought that's 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 a it's great. Someone's using my my video on YouTube for homework. You know, have you have you heard of Ed Puzzle?
1: No, I have not.
0: Yeah, edpuzzle.com.
1: Well, check it out. Really interesting.
0: I'll send you the the link that the guy made in my video. We're using Zoom, aren't we? So how do I send a message in Zoom? I'm
1: so used to using Skype. There's like a chat in the bottom.
0: Ah, yeah, yeah, got it, got it. To everyone, which is basically you. (laughs) Yeah, that's the guy using my video. But you have to get the app on... um, the phone really interesting I'll check it out I'll leave the link to that Ed Puzzle on my podcast as well in the show notes
1: that's awesome very cool
0: cool well um, anything else you want to share with our audience
1: thank you for listening and thank you for having me
0: oh it's been it's been a pleasure (laughs) what are you up to the rest of the week
1: um honestly a lot of customer support i we've seen a tremendous uptick with with the keyboard so i really we have we have uh one tremendous person on customer support but uh but she needs help and so that's what i do these days i just a lot of email a lot of customer support which goes back i guess to helping people i like it Mm -hmm.
0: the last ergonomic keyboard i bought was this microsoft curve one but it's about this big it's got a curved surface yeah, those and are nice keyboards. The user's is not curved. Does it still give me the same benefit?
1: Yeah, it's well. I'm somewhat biased, but in my honest opinion, it's better than a curved keyboard because it's it comes in two parts. Uh-huh. So the shoulder wood thing makes a big difference. The reason why they curve the keyboard is like for somewhat more natural position for your forearms, but you're right. still kind of hunching because it's still one brick that right. you are hunching yeah. over, especially for a little bit wider. And so, with the board being split, you can really, I'm, you can't see this in the video if you're listening to the podcast, but uh, you can really work shoulder width, and that makes a huge difference in posture. Can you, do people hang around their neck and type? There's all sorts, like if you, not around their neck, but uh, we (laughs) had, if you go to yeah, you'll see we have a big gallery of like interviews with real users, just like what, what sort of work they do and all that, and what's their setup like. So one of the interviews is actually with someone who wears the keyboard, like they made a harness and they kind of wear it. And you have people who mounted it on their chairs and somebody who took like a dual monitor arm and, uh, and mounted it vertically. People do super creative things because it's split, so you can do a lot. The only reason I really stick with the MacBook keyboard
0: is that I use the trackpad a lot and my hands are on the keys and my thumbs on the trackpad. And I just find that the combination of that and clicking on code, it's the fastest that I am. I don't have to move my hand to the mouse and then go back to the keyboard. So,
1: Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's really handy, just having the trackpad super close. Nice. I use a trackball, and I have the trackball kind of between both halves of the keyboard, closer right. to my left hand, I'm a lifty. Yeah. So it's not a big motion, but it's still farther than a trackpad would be for sure.
0: Yeah. Maybe your keyboard could incorporate a trackpad on it at some point, maybe
1: yeah definitely an idea to look into for sure a trackpad or a little ball or something
0: yeah
1: it would be hard to beat the sensitivity of the macbook
0: trackpad though but if you could have, oh, yeah. if you could have that sensitivity in a in an inch sized surface or a two inch by two inch size surface
1: it would be very expensive <laughs> to add that but um not necessarily all it's all a question of quantities but yeah. We actually looked at some suppliers. There's like a vendor making tiny, tiny trackpads that you can buy standalone and actually slap the trackpad on your keyboard. I forget their name, but they're cool and they're very small. They're about the size you mentioned. Like think like an inch square or an inch and a half square. Yeah. Um. But I don't know how they compare to like a MacBook
0: trackpad. And it'd have to be force, force feedback probably would be nice because you don't want to wear out. That could be that could be a, a killer combination if that could be nailed exactly it yes. gets
1: complicated very fast yeah, It gets complicated yeah, yeah. very fast but uh that definitely is
0: much harder than software man <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that's true <laughs> manufacturing manufacturing hardware is it's a never-ending so adventure it's, it's
0: really good. hard yeah. the only project i ever totally failed was a hardware project it was four months semi-language and the only thing i can we didn't have um, all these fancy stuff the kids have now like adreno and stuff we just had some java thing that sent bits down this slurry pipe to a USB which was randomly not working and that was four months <laughs> lost.
1: <laughs> so I gave up yeah. that hard words intense.
0: Alright, well um thanks for so much for your time it's been a pleasure.
1: For me as well. Thank you.
0: Okay and thank you my listener for joining us and learn with us. We'll see you shortly for another learning episode. Thank you and bye bye.